I'm Chelsea. Welcome to the first episode of our podcast, Dermatologist Talks Science of Beauty. If you're listening to this podcast now, chances are you're as much of a skincare fanatic as I am. A very big hello to all our listeners on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Dr. Tio Wan Lin, and in this podcast, Dermatologist Talks Science of Beauty, we're going to cover some of the hottest topics all over the world um, in the field of science, beauty, and dermatology. First up for our listeners, Dr. Teo is an accredited dermatologist practicing in Singapore, specializing in both medical and cosmetic dermatology. The founder of Dr. TWL Dermaceuticals, a cosmeceutical skincare line, she is also a prominent researcher and a key opinion leader in the area of cosmeceutical skincare. She is the author of the Skincare Bible, the Hair Care Bible, and her very latest book, Masni, Masking Up, A Dermatologist's Guide to Masni, are now available on Amazon Kindle, Apple Books, and Barnes & Noble. Thanks, Chelsea. That was a very kind introduction, and I'm equally excited to be part of this journey decoding science and beauty for our listeners. We're really excited to start this podcast with you, Dr. Tio. Why don't you let us know what some of the topics our listeners can expect to hear about in this podcast series? Well, I think I really want to touch on relevant topics um, in today's world of beauty from my perspective as an accredited dermatologist and also the founder of a cosmeceutical skincare line. Now, from common skin concerns such as acne, especially with um, the wearing of fabric face masks, we have masni, rosacea, which is a medical condition uh, characterized by facial redness, eczema, which is commonly passed off as just merely dry, sensitive skin by laypersons. Now, these are all big topics in dermatology. And I feel that because they are also very common in our general population, it is also my aim to break down the medical science behind these conditions for our listeners. Well, basically, I'm here to teach you about dermatology. We'll go in-depth into active skincare ingredients as well with increasing knowledge available on the internet. It's important to be able to decipher between what is true and what is not. We also want to touch on exciting new developments in the field of beauty and technology, which really brings us back to our original mission, which is to share with our listeners the evolving future of beauty. I'm excited already. With 2020 looking the way it does, I certainly hope the future will be better. Dr. Teo, how do you think COVID-19 has shaped the business of beauty, skincare and medicine? That's a great question. And I want to talk about beauty and skincare together and the impact that COVID-19 has on this industry. Now, you know, rather surprisingly, I found that there has been a positive shift in sustainable practices with regards to you know, home care, self-care um, in the field of beauty. Now, with COVID-19, a lot of individuals have opted for um, eating at home and, and hopefully that translates into eating healthier home-cooked meals as well. Um, and, you know, from a uh, dermatologist's perspective, there has been 
um, an interesting sort of de-emphasis on aesthetic and cosmetic interventions this year in 2020, simply because of the reality of the lockdown and circuit breaker in, in Singapore, um, lockdowns imposed worldwide. Well, I mean, you may find it surprising, but to be honest, I am actually all for that. Now, if I may just deviate a little, I want to talk about how while toxins, fillers and lasers do form a significant part of my dermatology practice, I personally do not find these practices either either sustainable from a um, physiological or humanistic perspective, um, nor are they encouraging any sort of positive perception of aging. Um, my patients know that I have always emphasized adjunct cosmeceutical skincare as the long-term maintenance goal for anti-aging and healthy skin in general. That's really insightful. Thank you for sharing. If I may just add, there has been so much marketing on solutions for skincare problems this year in social media. I wonder what your take is on that. Um, you know, what is unfortunate is that a lot of true skin diseases um, have been kind of masqueraded uh, in the uh, eyes of the public by non-dermatologists as being a cosmetic sort of, um, you know, diagnosis. But the truth is, there are reasons why you may have a symptom on your skin, be it something as common as suffering from acne, or you know, that stinging dryness or flaking you feel on your skin, especially when you're exposed to a change in the environment. Now, back in the days when people were still traveling, uh, it was very common for me to see, um, you know, ladies or, or men who come in and, and say that, oh, you know, my skin is actually really good. I've been using XXX product for this period of time. And it's only whenever I travel that I feel my skin really becomes sensitive. I don't believe my skin is really sensitive, but you know, it must be something that's in this product I'm using or, or whatever else you want to attribute it to because somehow they've gotten the impression from um, you know, maybe that something they read or uh, what's been on social media, etc. Now, you know, what is uh, to me uh, important for to, for the patient to know is that they, they actually don't just have skin sensitivity, but they have a, a skin disease or disorder known as eczema. So eczema itself, um, you know, it, it can vary in severity. And a lot of people think that it has to start in childhood. And, um, you know, that's not true because a lot of individuals start developing uh, the symptoms of sensitivity, which are of eczema really, um, as adults. And it could be related to um, certain lifestyle exposures. But at the end of the day, we're, we're talking about a condition, for example, that has medical roots. So it's related to a disorder in the skin barrier, right? So the skin barrier uh, is essentially right what protects us from the external environment. And, um, you know, it's best visualized as the building blocks of skin. Um, you know, you have the bricks, right, that form the barrier. And then in between the bricks, you have the joining cement, which is a, um, a fatty lipid known as a ceramide. So in this case, 
The correct type of skin care for individuals with eczema, according to latest dermatological research,、um, is is actually a type of moisturizer known as a PED or prescription emollient device. So such. A moisturizer should contain an optimal lipid balance that mimics the physiological balance of the ceramides in your skin. Now, it also should contain antioxidant, anti-inflammatory ingredients in the skincare formula,、um, in order to best. Um, you know, kind of address the inflammation and the barrier defect that's occurring in an individual with eczema. Now, for another common skin problem,、uh, which is acne, or in in twenty、uh, twenty in twenty twenty, we've been talking about masne.、Uh, traditional topical、uh, ingredients that、um, you know are effective for the treatment of acne are、um, things such as sulfur, salicylic acid, tea tree oil,、uh, benzoyl peroxide, which are all over the counter preparations that are readily available to the public and in you know、uh, cosmetic formulations. But these. Are no longer relevant in the、um, age of the、uh, mask wearing,、uh, you know, COVID pandemic. The reason is because、uh, we we do find that、um, all these active ingredients, which have been used traditionally,、uh, have astringent,、um, which means it dries up the skin、uh, properties, and that. Increases the risk of a condition known as irritant contact dermatitis when you apply,、um, you know, the conditions of a fabric face mask or, or any sort of face mask you're wearing throughout the day. So this is known as occlusion, right? So the occlusive micro environment of wearing a face mask changes the、um, uh, bacterial, the microbiological balance of the skin. And、uh, it is important for us to understand that these traditional,、um, you know, remedies for mild acne, for example, will will not,、um, you know, be very relevant in、uh, the the current masne、uh, era. On the other hand, active botanical,、um, you know, antioxidants and those with anti-inflammatory properties、uh, are rather, you know, increasingly.、Um, You know, being focused on in in the area of dermatological research and and is highly relevant when you're talking about the occlusive environment of mask wearing. Thank you for sharing that. There's a lot of gems of information there that I'm sure our listeners would love to get to know.、Um, another shift in the COVID nineteen pandemic has been to virtual consultations in medicine. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience with teledermatology? We started teledermatology actually way back in November twenty nineteen to meet the、um, need for our international patients、uh, to fulfill their prescriptions, especially、uh, when a lot of them、um, live in regions that may not have access to、um, international hospitals where they have specialist dermatological care. So、um, the Upside was that our practice、um, had a bit of a head start in terms of coordinating the protocols and the logistics of our teledermatology、uh, virtual consultation processes.、Um, something to highlight is that in、um, Singapore, at least, it is very much a process of self-accreditation for、uh, teledermatology that you apply for、um, with the relevant. 
relevant ministries as part of your documentation. So um, a robust teledermatology protocol that we uh, derived um, fulfilled the uh, essential requirements um, that uh, you know were the same offered by a face-to-face uh, consultation for medical legal purposes. Now, let me just break it down to you what that means. Now, if you see a doctor, first of all, you know, you, you do want to feel that your doctor, um, you know, is, is there for you, wants to help you and is a credible, uh, you know, trustworthy individual for you to share your medical concerns with. Now, in the case of dermatology, uh, I would say that, you know, we are very, very well suited for telemedicine. And in, in particular, the term teledermatology has been around for the last decade and has been already in, in execution, um, you know, for um, certain institutions that may not have a, a resident dermatologist, um, such as nursing homes and uh, where there is, you know, predominantly an outpatient sort of caseload, um, as opposed to inpatient dermatological conditions, which um, actually require, uh, you know, closer follow-up and evaluation of a lot of systemic symptoms. Now, why do I say dermatology is very well suited for telemedicine? Uh, the key thing is that we are primarily a visual specialty that relies on the recognition of patterns, um, colors, and, you know, what we call morphologies. So rashes. So, it, it, you know, it's, it's a way that is a language that has been described, um, you know, in, in the uh, specialty of dermatology for us to characterize different types of rashes. And, you know, we from there, we formulate our diagnosis or list of differential diagnosis. So the uh, translation to a virtual platform where really what you have would be in this, uh, you know, era is not easy. It's not difficult to request high resolution photos, even when it's taken with your uh, smartphone. So, you know, that part, I think, is, is something that, you know, is easy is easily uh, qualified. But um, we also ensure that uh, patients are aware of the setting of the photographs that they, they submit. So um, as a baseline, we emphasize the lighting. So bright, natural daylight is preferred against a white background to minimize any color distortions and of course you know we know that the light should come in from either in front of you or the side um, and we also uh, give recommendations and samples on the distance of, of the uh, photograph that, that should be taken from. So for a close-up lesion, uh, for a, a slightly a further up sort of um, you know, photo that gives us an idea of the distribution of the rashes, um, you know, these things are very important to consider. One more uh, thing that I feel is, is important for us to highlight is that it doesn't mean that every single individual qualifies for a teledermatology consult. In fact, we have a robust triage process that um, you know, is performed by our dermatology nurse, and it um, essentially screens out individuals with uh, acute skin conditions who may not be suited for a virtual consultation. Uh, finally, we also uh, do recommend in-person photography uh, with our professional camera and lighting and uh, video examinations as well. Uh, all these should be done in person. But overall, as the uh, circuit breaker uh, you know, lifted and the measures have somewhat um, uh, become a little bit more lax, 
We have maintained the proportion of our patients that are on follow-up with us via virtual consultations. Uh, well, this is largely because I think out of the overall public health, um, you know, climate that you know we are all concerned about resurgence of this pandemic, and um, you know, this is something that we're seeing worldwide as well, and we certainly don't take it for granted. Um, the other thing is that it, it allows us to control the uh, traffic in our clinic a lot more precisely. So I feel that telemedicine, teledermatology in particular uh, is here to stay. I totally agree, especially during the environment that is COVID-19 right now. Well, thank you again, Dr. Teo, for speaking to us today. And that about sums up our first episode. Thank you guys for tuning in and we'll see you guys in the next episode.